So I want to speak a little bit about, you know, the three refugees now. And, uh, you know, we can see here in, in the room, there's lots of images, you know, which are, which we can use as, um, you know, skillful means for focusing the mind and such as the, you know, the Buddha image and the white Tara here and then the tankas and, you know, all different stupas and temples and there's so many different ways, you know, how how we can, um, you know, create through art, how we can create images, you know, which can help us that in, if the going gets tough, you know, they can help us to center our energy around and, and, and take some encouragement, you know, from those different symbols. And, you know, they in themselves, they don't have any kind of magic powers, but if we can use them, you know, as a skillful means for, um, you know, stabilizing the mind, they they become, you know, very powerful allies or aids in the practice and are really not to be underestimated, you know, what that can do to oneself if one is really, you know, going through a tough time or going through, you know, a time where one doesn't have much energy. All of those symbols, you know, they can really be very helpful and... Uh, I brought a quote, you know, from Carl Gustav Jung, who says, the psychological mechanism for the transformation of energy is the symbol. So, you know, if our energy is all over the place due to confusion or fear or, you know, very strong desire, very strong aversion, is, you know, when the energy go, goes into certain patterns which are very difficult to bear with, you know, having symbols like that or having your prayers, or, you know, the refuge formula. There's just so many different ways. So in my case, you know, having the ropes and the shaved head is a very powerful symbol as well, you know. And if we can see it as a skillful means, not a, a magic bullet, you know, which kind of protects us from difficulties, but it's more like a very clear signpost, you know, which help us to go in the right direction in times of great turmoil. This is what those symbols can do for us, you know. And there's also many other symbols, you know, in the world, like a national flags or a Walmart or, you know, all kinds of symbols. And they can be either used, you know, for benefiting the mind to become more free from conditioning of greed, hatred and delusion, or they can also be very skillfully used, you know, by the advertisement industry to kind of pull us deeper into dependency. And... And we have a power there, which direction we want to go. If we understand, you know, how those symbols can benefit us or can delude us, we can take charge, you know, what do we want to do with it. And, you know, taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha is, is such a very powerful, very ancient, you know, skillful means of helping the mind, you know, to stay focused in the right direction. We still have to go, you know, through all of the repercussion karma which ripens in our lives. We don't have any choice about, you know, what's ripening and what is kind of, you know, meeting us. But all those so-called obstacles, they are the path, you know. There is nothing else but 
the next thing, the next thing, the car breaks down, have a root canal treatment, and then maybe you win in the lottery, and then you get divorced, and then you have a nervous breakdown, and you know, and then you. I mean, it's endless, you know. It's never, it's never going to end, and we don't have a choice what's happening, but we have a choice in how we relate to it. And you know, those three refuges—they are very powerful, skillful means to help us, you know, to relate to what is happening in a way which leads towards greater wisdom and compassion. You know, all of those experiences, you know, we can use them to to learn more and to understand life deeper and deeper, you know. That's the, the difference between, you know, the suffering which leads in circles and the suffering which leads out of suffering. We can choose between those two. We can't escape, you know, a certain amount of suffering. But we can choose, you know, to learn from it or to just kind of, you know, get kind of tumbled by it endlessly and, and never learning from it because we don't stay present with it, you know. And those three refuges are very powerful declaration, you know, to the universe really saying, I want to stay present. I take refuge in the Buddha, which means, you know, I take refuge in the true nature of the mind, which is pure awareness. Like the sky, you know, when the clouds have parted, that's a very powerful image for pure awareness. Just reflecting the way things are. I take refuge in the Dhamma, which is the teaching of the Buddha, the instructions, you know, laws of nature. The word Dhamma means law of nature or truth. And in the Thai language, for example, you know, the word for natural is Dhammachat. So the word Dhamma, you know, it's very much part of that language because, you know, the teaching has a reason in that area of the world. So taking refuge in the laws of nature, you know, not because we can't change the laws of nature, but we can get to know them and then, you know, align ourselves with those laws. And then taking refuge in the Sangha is, you know, taking refuge in the community of all of those who benefit from the teachings you know, taking refuge in those who have realized like a certain depth of reality, but also, you know, refuge in all of those ordinary beings like we are, you know, and in through living together and practicing together and meeting together, you know, we can uh, provide like a practice environment, you know, where we all have that commitment, you know, to to use the refuges for waking up and where we are, you know, through, we have Basically, it's like a trial run, you know, what we have learned in the practice. We can apply it with our friends, you know, who have like-minded intentions. There's a good way to start there because it's, it's not easy. So to do it together with people who are already practicing, going in the same direction, is a very important, you know, ingredient on the path, spiritual friends. They're the most important external support for the path. This is why it's the third refuge, you know, taking refuge in the Sangha, because it is so important, you know, to practice with like-minded people. You know, and even, you know, we all have to go through our own, you know, karmic ripenings. Nobody can take it away from us, but just knowing, you know, that everybody else is doing the same thing can really kind of be quite energizing, you know. We don't feel so 
separate. We don't feel so kind of, you know, it's all too much. Because we know it is difficult. But it's bearing fruit, you know. If we don't shut down, you know, if we don't start to dig another hole once the going gets tough, but we just keep on digging where we have started, then eventually, you know, we will come deeper and deeper and deeper and we'll, we'll go come to the source, you know. So this is really very important, is not to kind of, you know, change the practice, change the teacher, do something else, do, have some other kind of pastime distractions, just because it's difficult. Especially when it gets difficult, it's really important to not stop, to just keep going, you know, not collapsing. It doesn't have to be like a heroic effort, you know, like, or like knight in shining armor and all of that. It's just, just good enough, you know, just not, not giving up. That's good enough. And, and then we, we know, you know, one, when the time is we feel more inspired, we can put in more energy. And then sometimes time we feel extremely uninspired. But if we don't stop and just do a little bit, you know, just staying connected, that's okay, you know, that's totally okay. And to just kind of know what we can do, not over, you know, not kind of forcing, that's also very important, but also not kind of, you know, the, there's this kind of modern, you know, contemporary expression of like self-care, you know, overdoing it and thinking, you know, I, I just can't get up to do anything and thinking, you know, that if I can't do it like, if I can't do it like at least 80%, I just throw the whole practice out of the window. I think it's really important to to just kind of, even if it's only five minutes, you know, you can bear to sit down sometimes because there's so much going on in your life, then it's, it's that, you know, that's okay. But it's, it's a way to, to keep the connection to the practice, you know. And to, um, you know, to remember that refuge, you know, which is always already here. Refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dhamma, refuge in the Sangha. And even, you know, sometimes the clouds are very thick, you know, we can't see the sky, maybe for a few months even, you know. That's okay. But just not um, giving up, I think. That's, that's really a very important thing to remember, you know, when the going gets tough. And using, using the symbols and using the simple ritual and, you know, using all of those skillful means which are available so simply for us in this day and age. We don't have to hike over the Himalayas, you know, to get the teachings or anything like that. It's, it's just press on the button of the computer and here it is like a million tama dogs and everything so it's there's really no no excuse actually it's just there's maybe a little bit like uh, it's difficult to to choose you know something and stay with it so you know if you you all have already you know found the mountain stream center and and there's really good guiding teachers here. So, you know, it's good enough to just start with something good enough because whatever practice you're doing, you're always going to hit that point, you know, where, where, where it is hits like a very tender spot in yourself, you know, where things start to open up, where we kind of start to really 
get a feeling you know for the groundlessness of of the way things are for the constant changingness of this and and then really you know turning towards that um vulnerability you know which we are starting to uh, make friends with through the practice you know because we really don't know you know what's going to happen even in the next moment but what we can you know know is how to relate to it and you know it's all about the how not about the what so the practice is is all about how to meet our experience so that it leads us out from delusion rather than into deeper delusion. That's the only, you know, choice we can really we, we really have in the world. But it's it's like a and it's a very kind of a subtle choice in the beginning, you know. But then over time, it's a, you just go a little bit like this. And then if you keep going over years, 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 you end up here. But if you just keep up going straight, it's just going to lead you onwards. And so it's, it's a very subtle, very small difference on a daily basis, you know. But looking back over years, we can see the difference, you know. Not looking back over weeks or months, but looking back over years, like two, three years. Or if I look back, you know, <laughs> before I started to practice, there's a vast difference now, you know, in many ways. My personality is still the same, you know, but it's diluted. It's diluted with spaciousness. It's, it's less intense, you know, and, there's, and all of the character traits, they have been kind of lightened up, you know. And uh, there's more capacity of just uh, receiving what is without kind of pushing and pulling at it, you know. And then there's more teaching coming through, you know. Laws of nature kind of revealing themselves. And a way, you know, how we can, this is wisdom and compassion is, you know, knowing the way things are and then kind of relating accordingly to my own being and, and to others, you know. So in those three refuges, they, they are like a guiding star, you know. So we know which direction to go. And, you know, looking up at the guiding star and then looking down on the road, you know, because there's all kinds of things on the road, stumbling blocks, obstacles, pitfalls and beautiful things and everything. So just up and down, you know, just looking. Ultimately, you know, I have the same capacity for enlightenment as the Shakyamuni Buddha had or Vaitara. But conventionally, you know, I'm Sister Santa Chita, you know, and have there's lots of things in my life going on, you know. And but I Nowadays, you know, I have more and more capacity to see those ongoings, you know, in the context of the refugees. So I don't get lost in all of those ongoings, you know, which, which some are very difficult, some are very lovely and all of that. I'm not going to get lost in it because I always see them in context, you know. And that brings me to the middle. That's the middle path, you know. That's the teaching of the Buddha is often called the middle path. 
but it's not like a mediocre path, but it's being there in the middle of it all without getting lost, you know, without getting lost. And then through that, you know, not getting lost in indulging and not getting lost in suppressing, but just being with it as it is and, you know, taking refuge in awareness, taking refuge in the laws of nature and the instructions and taking refuge in spiritual friends, you know, those who have gone before me and, and those who are walking with me right now and, and also those which, who will come in the future. So, you know, it's, it's that middle path which is, you know, you know, this is really the genius of the Buddha which really first really kind of attracted me very much when I heard about that expression, the middle path, because my life was everything else but kind of centered. There was a lot of kind of drama and a lot of, uh, you know, big emotions and a lot of, um, you know, wanting to have, you know, thinking that if I can get what I want, I'm going to, uh, you know, have... uh, arrive at some kind of stability and contentment. But after doing that, you know, for like, like say 30 years or so, and it's not, it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. Then, uh, you know, out of pure frustration, you know, I felt like there must be something else. And I felt like I'd like to find someone, you know, who is, who has some advice in this regard, you know, and then about one and a half years after I, I started to really feel uh, interest, you know, in, in, in actually listening to somebody and, and learning from somebody. The teacher appeared. And, and my first teacher was Archon Buddha Dasa, a forest master in the south of Thailand, whom I met the first time in 1988. And then I stayed for about one and a half years in his monastery in, in Watson Mok, in, near the uh, Malaysian border in the south of Thailand. And... You know, when I saw him for the first time, I, I never forget that, you know, the the presence of his being was communicating, you know, to me that he knew what I had been looking for in so many other ways, you know, before I hit kind of a certain kind of rock bottom where I felt like, obviously, you know, it's not to be found in, in those different places I was looking for. and And then... You know, seeing him, I felt like inspired, you know, to kind of give it the benefit of the doubt and listen to the teachings. And and then, you know, I got pulled in more and more into it and I ended up becoming a nun even, which was quite surprising to me. And... Um, you know, that middle path between... Uh, you know, between kind of not wanting to have anything to do with the world and completely getting lost in the world. That's, you know, that's the teaching of the Buddha. And it's like about, you know, attending to the conventional reality of our lives, you know, with our families and cars and passports and health insurance and, you know, 
degrees and and workplace and everything you know all of those um, scenarios you know which 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 we have co-created with others and then at the same time knowing about pure awareness you know that this is always available and that we can attend you know to all of those details of our lives in the in relationship, you know, to to the ultimate truth and coming to the middle, you know, not being completely kind of absorbed in the details of our life, but also, you know, not kind of turning away from them. So being in the middle of it all and, you know, cultivating the mind and and practicing what's called the 10 parameters in the Theravada teaching or the six parameters in the uh, Vajrayana teachings, Mahayana teachings, is like those, you know, enlightened qualities. And the, the two most important ones are Kanti, which is patience, and equanimity, or Upeka, you know, those two. Because if we kind of focus on those two, then you know, then we can actually stay with our experience long enough so that it starts to open. So patience and equanimity. You know, and sometimes, you know, we are in situations where nothing can be done about it. We have to just be with it. We can't go backwards, we can go forward, we can go up or down. We have to just be where we are. And then we can at least, you know, kind of cultivate those parameters. So it's, you know, it's ne we are never in a situation where we are powerless, you know, where we can't really grow in the Dhamma. Because even if we can't, like, get away from it, because maybe, you know, we're in prison or we are very ill, and or there's different scenarios, you know, where, where nothing can be done, it, then you can at least, you know, cultivate uh, patience and equanimity. So we are never really powerless, you know. We have to just see, you know, what can be applied in that in this situation. And you know, and if we have a meditation practice, you know, if we kind of train this also this, you know, not only training in insight in terms of you know understanding the way things are, but also you know, kind of training the capacity for intuitive kind of awareness, you know, which knows what or, you know, which knows how to relate, you know, to, to what's happening. Because if we, you know, if we kind of train our mind in the recognition of that, you know, pure awareness, which has a, like a much, is a vaster, a much vaster intelligence than what the intellectual intelligence of the, you know, the human mind can cough up, so to say, you know, if we can link into that must, much vaster intelligence by recognizing pure awareness, you know, then we, we start to develop a rapport, you know. And, you know, some people might call it, you know, you, you communicate with God, maybe people who have a Christian conditioning, you know, and we would say, you know, we are kind of tapping into the vast intelligence of the Dhamma. You know, and then the practice takes on more and more strength, you know, because there's that kind of intuitive knowing, you know, that 
you know, what we are like right now, you know, the personality and, and, and all of the conventional um, limitations, you know, of our existence, they are just a vehicle right now, you know, a vehicle for wisdom and compassion to be, be cultivated. And when the time comes that the body drops away because it dies, you know, then that's not the end of it. So, you know, we have all of the time in the world, but every moment counts, you know. So then if we start, you know, to kind of take refuge in this, then our life, you know, it just all opens up. And everything, the claustrophobia, you know, of like consumerist culture is like, starts to kind of drop off, you know. It's like you have very tight shoes, you take off the shoes, it's like kind of, oh my God, you know. It feels like that. It doesn't mean, you know, that there is no unpleasant experiences or unpleasant feeling. Of course, they will all still be there, you know. We can't escape that. There is no refuge whatsoever which can protect us from that, you know. But there is a very clear way of how to relate to it. And through that, you know, the claustrophobia, the, the feeling of being a victim of all of this, you know, being lost, having no power, being, it all, it, it all starts to kind of, you know, kind of crumble. And then if we're very strongly triggered, we might kind of fall back into it, you know, but it's, it's a process, you know, it's like learning the piano. Just don't give up if you didn't, you know, have make a few mistakes, you just, there is no mistakes really. There's, it's all opportunities for learning because, you know, all, Conditioned phenomena yield liberation as their essence. Anything, whatsoever, you know. And some are more scary than others. And some are more seductive than others. But in the end of the day, that's what they all yield, you know, liberation from confusion, really. And, you know, and, and, and what is liberating about that, attending to experience in this way, you know, attending to it with awareness, is, you know, that we start to see what I said before, you know, what's called the three characteristics, or in the Mahayana they call it the three seals, which is impermanence, unsatisfactoriness or instability, and emptiness, or in the Theravada it's called not-self. Dukkha, Nietzsche, Anatta. So, you know, this is, this is those three liberating uh, insights, you know, which we can't help, but we realize if we attend to the practice, because it, it's just, it's reality, that's the way things are. You know, everything is constantly changing, even if you don't notice it. Everything is unstable because it's constantly changing and therefore unsatisfactory. And, you know, and it is constantly changing because it's empty of an inherent self or not-self. You know, and those three characteristics, they, you know, that's the fruition of the practice, you know. And, and we can't really kind of, you know, manipulate fruition. It just is like, you know, like the tree yielding fruit. You can't you shake on the tree and say, oh, that won't work, you know. But if we put causes and conditions in place, fruition is going to happen. 
and those three refugees you know are like those guiding stars you know which if we get lost in the experience we just look up at the guiding stars okay i'm going in the right direction even the going is really tough and i'm going slower than a snail but at least i go in the right direction and that's as good as it gets you know and i think that's really good enough at least for me because i can see you know that it does um, uh, lead to greater freedom and insight if we just don't turn back you know one day we're gonna arrive there and it really doesn't matter when and you know and, and uh, over the years you know if we are keeping keep on practicing all of this the, the goal orientation you know still uh, you know is there theoretically you know as a as an uplift and as a as a as a refuge, you know, but it, it, it really starts to drop away because we can see the futility of wanting, you know, to get something because it's all about, you know, releasing grasping. So, you know, to really kind of work very hard for a certain goal, it just doesn't work, it's counterproductive, you know. But using it as a, as a guiding star is very effective. We really need to have that, you know, otherwise we, we can easily get lost. And, you know, we can say traditionally, you know, those who take refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, they are, they are kind of Buddhists, you could say, you know, that's the, the kind of hallmark, you know, of being a Buddhist is taking refuge in the Buddha, taking refuge in the Dhamma, taking refuge in the Sangha and keeping the five precepts, you know. Because without keeping those, the practice is also just gonna kind of go in circles, you know. So those, the, this is the package, you know. That's the the starter kit, really, you know. <laughs> if you just start with that, and then you'll see, you know, what the, some people, you know, like me. Funny enough, I took the starter kit and ended up in this. <laughs> <laughs> so one, we don't we don't know, you know. But it doesn't really matter what, you know, it's all, it's all the same in terms of because we all go in the same direction. And everybody, you know, has like a different way how to express that, you know. And, but this, you know, the three refuges and the five precepts are enough for, you know, for going in the right direction and for kind of benefiting, you know, from this uh, from this teaching. Because it's all about you know not losing the direction number one and not getting not wasting time, you know, by creating a lot of unwholesome karma by harming beings and by taking what is not given and by you know lying and by kind of getting you know getting um, intoxicated to the degree that we break all of the other precepts so that's a, you know five precepts is like you could say a, a set of rules you know to uh, to conserve energy it's not about don't do this and don't do that it's more like kind of don't be stupid really <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so the you know it's all it's not a moralistic teaching really it's it has that benefit as well, you know, because this is just the way things are, you know. If we harm beings, we, it comes back to us, you know, because ultimately we are all one, you know. But that's just like a, a side benefit, really, you know.
so and all of those you know kind of this this kind of understanding starts to dawn on us through the meditation really you know and it, it, it kind of sounds all kind of weird, you know, how can that kind of have an effect like this, just sitting, you know, and being aware of the body breathing. But this is the way it is, you know. That's how the universe is. is. And I don't know why it is like that. I don't need to know. But it's enough to kind of, you know, put in the preliminary kind of faith you know that this is so and and giving it giving it a test run you know and then see for yourself it's not about you know believing it's it's about kind of testing it out and then through experience you know have a have a confidence in it so when the going gets tough we can still you know meet our experience in this way and then we are not going to be a victim of it but we, we can learn from it. And I, I really like that saying, you know, of Winston Churchill, who has, he has, has left us with a lot of kind of very witty sayings, but this one is, you know, saying, life is one damn problem after the next. <laughs> you know, and instead of really feeling sorry for ourselves, you know, we can say, okay, that's how it is, you know. But I can learn from it and I can gain, you know, more and more resilience from paying attention what's happening and then you know those damn problems they're gonna shake me less you know and then my life gain you know has more and more that quality of uh, you know certain peacefulness contentment and the capacity to be in the middle of it all you know without being lost in it and that's as good as it gets you know and then through that also you know we start to attract a different situations, different people. You know, our life does change. And, but not, you know, through us kind of manipulating it, but just relating to it in a way which is more skillful. And those, you know, three refuges are a skillful means, you know, and when Buddhism, you know, came here to the West, you know, in the last, like, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, in the beginning, you know, people were thinking, you know, we can do away with all of those Asian traditional, you know, um, methods of, you know, bowing and taking refuge and chanting and praying, you know, and all of the art objects and all of that. And then, you know, after some time, like, after 20, 30 years, it became apparent, you know, if the going gets tough and if we haven't really tapped into the skillful means of devotion, then we might just not be able to keep going, you know. So devotion is, is, is a skillful means and we can, we can take advantage of it, you know, if we know how to do it without getting brainwashed into it or getting lost, you know. And those refugees are like a very classic formula, you know, to tap into the power of devotion and, and, and using it, you know, for um, energizing the path. You know, when the going gets tough, sometimes that's the only thing which can keep you going. You know, I look at the picture of my teacher, for example, and then, okay, you know, if he could do it, I can do it too, something like that. You know, it can be very, very ordinary, but it's not to be underestimated and I don't know anybody who can do without this, you know. 
and there's a lot to choose from, you know. And this center is a very beautiful example, you know, where in a very skillful way, you know, those images are used to uplift the mind and to, you know, to, uh, to instill this um, recognition, you know, that we are not alone in all of this. There have been, you know, countless beings going in before us over thousands of years, you know, and we can just kind of line up in that procession, you know, and, and lean into that power. We don't have to do it all by ourselves, you know. So thank you so much. And now Chen, you coming and speaking. <laughs>